Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to Swan Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Thanks for joining the show today. Uh, Chase, uh, we got a lot to talk about as always on the show, and uh, we got a long weekend this weekend. Yeah, I was going to say, you got a, got a happy weekend, a happy nice weekend. holiday weekend, a happy 4th of July weekend, that is. So, uh, my favorite holiday of the year. Yeah, and then uh, markets close on Monday, obviously. So, yep. uh, 4th of July celebration of that. But uh, we do also have a workshop coming up. We'll, we'll kind of start with that because the workshop is coming up on July 21st, 6 o'clock. Uh, a lot of things to talk about that. We're going to show you on the fundamentals, how to understand fundamental analysis, how to find target prices, get target prices. Um, also, too, how to understand if you should keep the stocks that are down or sell them. This is a big concern for people. We get this all the time. Well, coming to the workshop, we'll show you what we look at to make those determinations. So there's a lot of information in that workshop. It is free, but what you have to do is sign up for it. Uh, it'll be Thursday, uh, June 21st at 6 o'clock. Go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- Five four six four three zero six. Talk to Priscilla, and she will get you signed up for the workshop on July twenty first. There you go. You what? said June twenty first the first time, so I wanted to make sure we gave the July twenty first. Really say June? Well, gosh, yeah, it, well, right. I can't believe it's July already. I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hoping people kind of caught that, like Brent. Is it June twenty first? Isn't already over? Not next year. So, yeah. We have this new technology where we're going back back in time right. to do a workshop. Back to the future. Yeah. I don't know if that, that wouldn't no. work. No, not only. <laughs> Let me just go to the business side yeah. here. Saying <laughs> you know, on the investment side, you may be feeling that this year so far is the worst year investing in a long time. Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, uh, you are correct. If you are investing in the indexes, I do exclude value investing. I'm talking about the indexes. Uh, regarding stocks, this has been the worst six months to start the year since the, since the 70s. Uh, as the S&P 500 was down 21% through the first six months. And if you thought you were safe in bonds, well, sorry to tell you this, at the beginning of the year, uh, well, uh, that has just not been the case. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, 1970, that, that's a long 50 time years. ago. Yeah, yeah. It was about 52 years ago. I was a young boy then. That's the thing, too. We talk about a lot of people, you know, oh, we haven't seen, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, I remember that. Not many people remember 1970. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a 1963 Ford Falcon that I thought I was pretty cool in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, talking about the bonds here, I mean, as you said, this is even crazier when you look at these numbers. For the first six months of the year, U.S. Treasuries were down about 11%, which, according to Deutsche Bank, would be the worst start since 1788. That's a long time. Now, no one's been around no for one, that time. No one right. remembers that. Right, right. And, and 
this is the thing too that a lot of people are starting to see and, and if you're investing and you don't check your statements, you don't check what you have, you probably want to understand this. If you're in bond, you're not doing that well this yeah. year. And if you thought that, hey, I'm in something that is safe, I'm looking for capital preservation and your advisor put you in bonds, I'll tell you what, and we've been saying this for years, as I said, worst start since 1788. Just keep that in the back of your mind. <laughs> and yes, again, you heard that correctly. That's well over 100 years, obviously. Actually, over 200 years. Yeah, well, over 200 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just insane. And also, too, we talked about crypto. I mean, we've talked about that a lot already, but Bitcoin just lost more than 38% of its value in the month of June. That's the worst month ever for cryptocurrency. Or not cryptocurrency, for Bitcoin, Bitcoin, probably cryptocurrency as well, just guessing. I've often said investing is simple but not easy. I think this year people who are investing in the indexes may have a little bit better understanding of what I was talking about. Yeah, I mean, it was. you remember it's like, oh, just do this, it goes up. And and the other thing that we talked about too on this show as well, um, what did they call it? They had a name for it, where uh, buy the dips, buy the dips, because it'll come back in two months. Well, now that's not happening. Yep. And we could be in longer trouble here, <clears throat> and, and we don't have the numbers yet. Uh, I think we're going to do a post on next week, which we'll probably talk about on the show next week, about that the concentration in the index is still pretty heavy on, on a four or five different companies. So mm -hmm. it is not as much has changed, and there still could be more bad news for index uh, investors. And I just I don't see a catalyst to increase the indexes. I, I think there's a lot of companies out there that have gotten hammered and that, that can justify potentially an increase in their stock price, but there's a lot of others that they've declined, but I don't think they've declined far enough. And one that we talk about is uh, Apple, and a great company, but uh, you, you read this past week, uh, you told me about it, that you saw that one of the chip makers that makes chips for, Apple's, or for Apple um, actually, their orders were down from Apple, I believe you said. You're taking all my content for next week. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we'll have to come up with new content. <laughs> I know. I'll still do a post on it, but we'll talk about something else. But yeah, Micron, uh, they talked about how at the beginning of the year, they were looking for sales in the smartphone market of 5%. Well, now, as things have shifted and we're six months through the year, they're looking for an actual decline in the smartphone market of 5%. And who is one of their largest customers? Apple. Apple. Yeah. Yeah. I say, I let you say that. I know. I know. And uh, <laughs> the other thing I look at too is a lot of people don't know that Apple, again, iPhone and Mac, two predominant products that make up about 60% of their sales. iPhone alone is about more than 50% of their sales alone. So this is something that, again, I talked about a few years ago where Apple had this huge issue with not being in what we call like a super cycle or a good right. cycle where they're selling iPhones. I mean, I get made fun of from time to time where it's like, oh, you still have the iPhone 8. It's like, yeah, I like the iPhone 8. Works. There's no reason for me to get a new iPhone. It's not going to make me any happier. <laughs> it's not going to change my life whatsoever. <laughs> the iPhone, when that first came about, that was a life changer. That was something that was like, wow, this is so unique. To me personally, the new iPhone, oh, you get a great camera. I like not having a nice camera because then when people ask you to take pictures, oh, sorry, I have the <laughs> iPhone 8. I can't do that. <laughs> you don't and like you still get I the same pictures. My, I just give them to Christina here. You take the pictures. You're better than I am. <laughs> and the thing is, if you have somebody send you the pictures, the quality is still the same on the iPhone 8 with yeah. the other camera. So, I, you know, it, for me, it just I'm very curious. That I think there's going to be some point, and maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, for Apple where I think they're going to stumble upon iPhone sales growth. And having that product be 50% of your sales base, I, I just... 
I don't see how you can continue that. And people talk about their service revenue. That's still only 20% of their overall company. So you, you could have a you know, 10, 15% increase in that. It's not going to change that much of the company. If let's say iPhone sales decline by 7%, mm-hmm. that's gonna be a heavier weight than services growing. People talk about like, oh, well, AirPods have grown. Still not enough to move the needle. And you know all these other ventures that Apple has, that's still not enough to overcome a potential downfall in iPhone sales. So it, it's something that that I'm concerned about. It could happen this quarter. Right. iPhone sales could be fine this quarter. I, I don't know. But it's something that's always in the back of my mind. When you're trading expensively, you got to keep growing. Yeah, and, and actually uh, Apple and uh, Microsoft are the only two of those main five, we'll call it, that have really not had a big haircut. I think they're down about 30% each, but I think, uh, gosh, I think uh, Amazon's down I think uh, 50%, I believe. I mean, Facebook is way down, 60%. I mean, you know, so Apple and Microsoft, I think, still have a little bit further to fall. Yeah, and since we're already on this topic, I guess we'll, I'm going to finish it out since we're not going to sure. talk about it next week. I'll, we I'm still might, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the top five companies are now Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and the fifth largest company now, our favorite, Tesla. Tesla. And I, I think Tesla could have a lot of problems. And again, that's a larger weight in the index than I think a lot of people realize. And if Tesla continues to struggle, it, it can be a quite impactful event for both the S&P and the NASDAQ. Right. Well, well let's talk about the whole GDP report and the whole kind of, oh, you got something else? There? One thing I wanted to add sure. before we went off on our tangent right, is this is something too, we, we talk about the bonds not doing well, the stocks not doing well. One thing we've talked about for years is the target date funds and the lifetime oh, yeah. funds. Yeah. And just the, oh, you know, it's easy, the Wall Street way, you know, they're just selling these products to 401ks and, you know, just put it, when, you, when you're retiring, Oh, 2030? Yeah, just put it in the 2030 fund. That That's going to be a nice, easy thing for you. I think this has been a disaster for people because you didn't understand what you were investing in, and you were told that was the smart thing to do, the easy thing to do. And, uh, again, I, I think that, that bonds still have more room to struggle, and they won't come back. And if you have, like, a 2025 fund, you're yep. probably at least 60 to 70% in bonds. You're, you're, you're not doing very well at all. And uh, we never liked these funds, never liked the concept of it. Um, and, and now I think people are gonna start paying the price for it. You, you've gotta be a smart investor. You, you've gotta look at what's going on. And if you thought, you know, two years ago that rates were not gonna be going up someday, uh, you were living in a cave. I mean, rates are so low, they had to go up eventually. And, and it just, you know, we do 401ks for businesses. And it just irks me when, when, you know, people are like, oh, well, why don't you put the target date funds in the 401k? <laughs> this is exactly why. Right. Investing is not easy. And I refuse to put them. We refuse to put them in the 401k fund lineup for the businesses when we, we do the fund lineup for them because I think they are terrible. The expenses are high. It's this simple way to invest when in reality it, it's it's not an efficient way to invest. Yeah, and we do, when we do uh, the 401ks for businesses that we actually have, we do spend time with that. We do not put those lifestyle funds in there or target date funds in there because they're the worst thing, and I know people pick them, but we don't do that. I, I think we really are the best 401k advisor uh, around because we actually do go out and talk to the people and advise them how to invest, like we talk about investing versus like, oh, well, just, you know, do the target date fund and this, and then they move on to the next person. I mean, we, we like to, because it's very important. I mean, you're growing your retirement plan, but uh, yeah, let, let's move on here. We, yeah. we, we can talk the whole show probably about different things, yeah. but uh, I, I do want to talk about more on the economy because the GDP report, um, I have been in the belief that we would not see recession until 2023, but 
Unfortunately, as more data continues to be presented, I believe we may now, just maybe, be in a recession. Uh, the most recent data from the uh, Q1 GDP now shows the economy contracted at an annualized rate of 1.6%, which was deeper than the initial reading of 1.4%. Uh, my concern for Q2 is now that the consumer has not been able to keep up with inflation and a strengthening dollar will not bode well for our trade in balance. And you have to remember the consumer is primarily what carries the economy as consumption makes up close to 70% of GDP. Now, if we look at retail sales, we've talked about this on the show already, but again, want to reemphasize these points. Retail sales in April, well, they grew at an annual rate of 8.2%. Hey, that's pretty darn good, right? But the problem is CPI came in at 8.3% for the month. So again, the real spending, if you adjust for inflation, didn't keep up. Also, May retail sales, well, that grew at an annual rate of 8.1%, but inflation was even worse at 8.6%. I believe for June, we will also see a similar picture where retail sales grow nicely, but not enough to offset inflation. It is important to understand that GDP looks at real growth, which factors in that inflation. I believe that the inflation numbers may be too high for the consumer to provide real growth. I continue to hold the belief that this will not be a deep recession by any means, and this is not the time to sell strong companies that are trading at good valuations. Just so you know, the advanced estimate for Q2 GDP is set to be, re to be released on July 28th. And, and there's still, and we got to kind of, and these are conversations we have in the office about different things because we've been pretty strong. I say the few, first few months, no, should not have a recession. We also talked about how the first quarter GDP, now again, it's down 1.6 was 1.4. That could mean that, okay, maybe there's a little bounce back in Q2. We talk about maybe an inventory re rebound. Um, I've talked about how with the, the dollar being uh, strong, uh, that can reduce prices of foreign goods coming in, but that can actually hurt the uh, GDP because you get a negative effect on GDP from imp imports. So there's so many moving parts on that, and that's why we're constantly on top of it to see what's gonna happen. Even if we do see um, a negative you know, GDP in the second quarter, a real definition of a recession, I just don't see it being very deep, maybe 0.2, maybe 0.3. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's gonna be like a, a 2% decline in GDP or anything like that. I think you're right, I think it would, I think this would be truly a technical definition for GDP as it, it would just be a very, very small decline in the, the situation. So it, it is something that, that I'm keeping an eye on. And again, as you said, it, it, I've talked to a lot of people, it's not gonna be a crisis. It's right. gonna be a technical definition of a GDP where you have two declining quarters, consecutive quarters of GDP. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's just, and these are things that you have to take into account when you're investing money, looking at the economy and so forth. And also too, how's it gonna affect different companies? What company should you buy? Uh, this thing of going 100% to cash is a foolish idea. Oh, cash is king. I hate that saying because cash is not king because you're gonna mistime it. And and you know what I think about this? It's very easy to time the market that's going down because you have negative feelings. Like, oh yeah, it's going down. See, I was right. You know, I, I pulled out, you know, two months ago, I was right but you will not have positive feelings to go back in until it went way back up again. So you're gonna miss the bottom. And I, we did a couple of weeks ago about how, if you just miss 10 days, I think of the decade, how it changes your total returns over that 10, 10 year time frame. So, you know, we talk about the economy, you wanna know what's going on with it. It is very fascinating, but if the GDP does come in negative, we're in a recession, it's not going to change investing. We're not going to oh, go to cash because you're in a recession. Yeah, I mean, we have our, as you said, our opinions on the economy, but it doesn't change how we invest because if the economy is going through, let's say, a difficult time period, it doesn't make a business a bad business. 
So a lot of times we talk about the economy because it is so important, right. but it doesn't dictate our investment decisions. Again, we're, we more focus on what's going on with the businesses and so forth. And yeah, the economy is going to have a an influence on the businesses that we own. But again, the, the companies can still get through those difficult time periods. And you want to find those companies that can get through it because we are going to have ups and downs. And I always I have used this before, but you know John Maynard Keynes, who's a, a famed economist, he tried to time the economic cycles and invest that way. Well, guess what? He did terrible. He couldn't do it. He did terrible. <laughs> and if he is one of the most famous economists of all time and he couldn't do it, why does the average person think that they can time the market based off of, oh, recession fears? And it, that is the thing that, that I find so interesting as well is when you talk to people, they say, well, I, I'm just going to wait and kind of see and, and wait until you know things look a little bit better. Well, right. You think you're the only person that sees that things are looking a little bit better? <laughs> By that time, the time that things look better, as you said, the stock market could go down from being you know, down, let's say, 30%, all of a sudden it's only down 10%. Well, you missed out on a huge buying opportunity. Right. And, yeah, you may still be down from the beginning of the year, but if you sold when you were down 20%, now you've lost, locked in a loss of 10%. You can't time it. It's impossible to do so. And I always hate when you say, well, I talked to this potential client. They said, well, we're going to wait for things to get better. Just like, I think what they're thinking is that maybe the economy will get better, but the prices of the companies will stay lower. And that's not the case. And if you're thinking on the other side, well, I want to wait for the company to get better, well, you just, the, the sale's over, you know? And I just never get that concept. And it's because people don't understand fundamental investing. That's why we get very excited when things go down. But you're right, some, some people that are investors that just don't have a good, their arms around it, which is why we do the workshop, do everything else. So you understand what we're doing. Because our clients, I mean, we still have only gotten uh, so far this year, I believe about seven phone calls from clients that are concerned. And actually two of those have said, well, I'm going to send up more money because this is a great time to buy. This is a good time to buy. And I hate seeing, we watch Varney in the morning. I hate seeing, well, I'll just do a 2% bond, you know, because I don't lose money. Well, two years from now, this will be a whole different situation if you're buying the right companies. I get very irritated. You want to buy, we all know, buy low, sell high, but people let their emotions take over and they don't buy low. You know, it's just very They wait to buy lower <clears throat> and they end up buying higher. Well, until things get better. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's the thing, too, as you said, is wait till things get better. And, and the problem is the stock market many times moves ahead <clears throat> of the economy. Right. And what I mean by that is you look at the beginning of the year, that's when the stock market started to have issues. The economy was actually quite strong in the beginning of the year. Yeah. And the stock market was declining. <clears throat> well, the same thing can happen on the bottom of it. I mean, I remember 2009. The stock market was starting to rebound and recover from you know the depths of right. the financial crisis, and things were terrible in the economic news. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what can happen is the stock market tries to get ahead of what's happening in the economy, and that's why you can't time it. And that's why you have to understand the values of companies because you can have a company where they're expected to lose. Uh, well, you, you know, last year they made fifty cents. Uh, this year they're going to make thirty cents. They come in and make 40 cents, like, wow, they're doing pretty good. And the stock will go up. And you're mm -hmm. sitting there saying, oh, I, I thought the economy was bad. Yeah. They did well. So let understand the businesses. That's what you have to do. Let's move on to uh, interest rates because what is giving the market so much indigestion over the last few days, uh, comments from the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. He said he was more concerned about the risk of failing to stamp out high inflation than the possibility of rising interest rates too high and pushing the economy into a recession. 
And, and once again, I hate to say it, but uh, he was late to the party to start raising the interest rates, and now I think he will stay at the party too long and raise rates too high. Uh, I'm in hopes that he will change his tune as he sees negative results going forward. Uh, I believe this will put investors on a bumpy road for the next couple of months here. Yeah, and it, it's just something that uh, I, I've not been happy with him. And again, we talked about, was, was it like a year and a half ago, saying why is he not raising rates? The, the economy is strong. We thought it was a political move. Now he's raising rates like, okay, I think you can slow down a bit. We're starting to see negative reports. And uh, when do they meet? They meet um, at the end of the month. End I of believe. the month. And I know GDP comes GDP comes out the 28th of July, I, I think. I believe they meet before that. But still, there's other factors to look at. The PMI reports, uh, we're, we're going to have a JOLTS report by then. I'm hoping for strong, still strong job markets. That's one thing I think can keep us through from prevent going into recession or a very mild recession. If you got a job, you're still going to be spending money. Uh, I still say on the freeway, you cannot drive on the freeway now almost any time of day without it being pretty much empty. Um, it, it's it's always crowded, so people are still going out. I still see people in restaurants and malls and stuff. So, um, But if the job report changes, that could be a problem. But I, I just wish he would slow down, take, a, take his foot off the accelerator a little bit, and as I said, maybe a 25, maybe a 50 basis point. Uh, increase. Yeah, and it's hard to see. I mean, because as you said, the, the job markets remain strong. Well, if the job market remains strong, that's an important factor. Also, too, the thing that they'll have before that meeting is inflation. And if inflation remains hot, that's something that they're concerned about. Right. But the thing is, if, if we can have a slowdown in energy prices increasing, even a slowdown, I don't see energy prices continue to climb, you know, higher like right. much higher i should say that should slow down the inflation rate energy has been just such a detriment to that report rising interest rates is not going to impact the energy crisis right, right. which is causing high inflation but so i know where they're coming from and and one thing that i am kind of curious on is maybe need to do a little more studying here on what happened back with paul volcker when he was raising, because he, he raised rates tremendously fast. You know, did they have that much money in the economy back then that that's the only avenue they saw out of the excessive liquidity that they had? I mean, because a lot of people applauded what Volcker did back then. Yeah, and he just went in like, like a bull and just like, that. this is what we're going to do. They raised it. I, I don't think they looked at anything else. And it did cause a recession and so forth, but it, it fixed the inflation problem. I don't believe you have to do that. One thing that irritates me on the government side there's another way to fix inflation as opposed to cutting off, you know, the, the rates and making it difficult for people is that you increase the supply because, again, inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. Well, if you create a lot more of the supply, well, then people start competing for those dollars coming in and they'll reduce prices. But they, they never seem to think about that, about how to help out businesses do that. But they're, they're controlling the band part of the equation rather than the supply part. The supply, the yeah. And if, yeah. You, if you could encourage the, the supply side of the, uh, the equation, you could not have to suffer that way. But that that's something that, I, and again, I guess the government doesn't see how they can do that. Um, and I, It's a shame, though. That's one thing is I, I think Powell's taking a lot of flack and there are two parts of the equation. There's monetary policy and there's fiscal policy. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you, you know what? I, I just realized I haven't gotten the phone numbers yet for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you, what you want to talk about. Phone numbers here at the uh, station, 833-288-0973. That's 
2880973. And as we kind of said in the beginning, I mean, the indexes are actually not doing well. This is when you want to check what you have in the portfolio. That's what we're going to do for you. It's going to try to point in the right direction when you call in. Well, I got this stock that I think is, you know, really good. We're going to go over the numbers for you. And we'll say, you know what? It is pretty good. Stay with it. Or you know what? You need to do some research here because things are not looking as good as we thought. So that's one thing you want to do. So 833-288-0973. And another thing, too, I do want to mention because the workshop is coming up just in a few weeks here. Uh, it is going to be July 21st at 6 o'clock. And if you want to understand if you should keep the stocks that are down in your, down in your portfolio or sell them, we're going to go over that. Um, how to learn what stocks should do well in a slowing economy. So not just what to sell, but what you should be looking at and how to find those. And also to how to avoid losing more money in your portfolio by buying new losers. So all this you're gonna learn at the workshop, how to be investing properly. We're gonna show you everything we do, but what you have to do, you have to sign up for the workshop. Best way to do that, go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com and uh, that I'll get signed up for that. And I just realized, Chase, I never signed in this morning to <laughs> to the system, so uh -oh. um, I don't have anything. We got some calls coming in, so um, let's do this. Uh, why don't we, while I'm kind of getting signed in here, um, I guess we were talking so much before the show about different things, I don't think it'll take me that long to do that. Um, is, uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's, let's see how fast I can do this here. Let's go out to, well, I guess it's just, a, oh, is it Al on a wireless caller? Is that, that correct? Yeah, so let's go to Al on a cell phone. Uh, Al, you're in the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Is Al there? Hello, Al. If you're listening to the show, pick up the phone. If we don't have Al, we'll have to. Hello? There's Al. Hi, Al. How you doing? Hi. Yeah, I've got GDX. Okay, do you hold that or looking to buy it? Do not own it. Now, is that no. the Vanek Gold Miners ETF? Al? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it? Okay. So we won't have much fundamentals on that because what they that they do, I mean, because we pull it up, I don't I don't think the gotcha. system we have, yeah, it doesn't do anything like that. I mean, what you have to kind of look at is that we, we held uh, an ETF uh, on gold in our portfolio for well over a year. And gold is just not performing as a good inflation hedge this time around. Uh, so I, I do I do see it. Well, I see a little bit of data here on on the, on the ETF. Um, it looks like it's actually come down uh, as inflation is going up. And this is what I'm talking about: is that gold is not a great inflation hedge this time. It seems it has been in the past. I see year to date, gosh, it's down 12.1 percent. Uh, that is not you know good compared with. Uh, um, you know, the, the indexes. I mean, you're not, you're not saving anything here with that. So I'm, I'm recommending people do not buy gold in the ETF, do not buy gold as a physical thing, unless you have gold coins that may have some value to them because of the coins. But uh, gold is not, we, we, we took gold out of our portfolio. Yeah, I will say <laughs> comparatively gold has done okay, but it's, uh, it's it's flat for the year. So you could have done the same thing in cash anyways. <laughs> and now, it, now you said it's flat. Oh, let's see. I'm talking about Gold. Oh, gold itself. Pure, pure gold. Pure gold, not the so ETF, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's done better than a lot of things. So I, 
you know, uh, but I, I just, I don't think now with this pullback, I think it would be much wiser to get out of gold, get out of gold type investments and find other things that I think can do better over the next two to three years. And speaking more to the Van Eck, uh, vectors, gold miners, ETF. One thing that I, I never like about products like this is it, it is still quite concentrated. So like Newmont, for example, makes up 16% of the portfolio. Well, if Newmont does terribly, this, this ETF right. is going to do terribly. You know, Barrick Gold makes up 11%. I'd rather look at saying, okay, there's, you know, uh, look at 59 holdings in this ETF. I'd rather look through this and especially to the top 10 make up about 64% of it. I'd look through the gold miners if I was interested in buying a gold miner and, and find the best gold miner to invest in. I don't like just buying the industry type ETFs because you get some good companies and you get a lot of crap companies in there as well. I'd rather find the good companies. So that's one reason I wouldn't do the ETF. The other thing is I, I'm just I'm not super bullish on on the price of gold here going forward. I think there's a lot of better uh, opportunities in the market. I, I did look at Newmont. It's interesting. It was up like 39% at one point this year. It's pretty much given up all those gains. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it, gold has just not performed. I, I do see in this particular fund that you're in here, Al, uh, 85% is in developed markets, about 15% is in emerging markets. It, you're just taking other risks there. Uh, if you're trying to play the gold side, this Vanek uh, Gold Miners ETF, uh, I would get out of it. I just don't, you know, it's more of a right. investing fund. All righty. Okay. Thanks for calling all. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to Chula Vista and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, I'd like you to uh, give a rundown on Dow Chemical, D-O-W. Dow Chemical, you said? D-O-W? Yes. Okay, yeah. do you do you hold that or looking to buy it? I I hold that. I've had it before, sold it around seventy, been accumulating fifty seven on down here lately. And I just uh, want to know if there's any problems with it, because I can't detect anything, and I'll just continue to accumulate it. Pays close to a five percent dividend. Yeah, uh, and let's see. And I'm I'm coming now. When I put in Dow, I'm getting uh, just Dow. I'm not seeing Dow Chemical. It's the same company. Oh, the same company. Okay, I just make sure I got, I got the right one here for you. So, oh, oh there it is. Yeah, Chemicals. Uh, all right. So so let's take a look, look at it. Uh, and you you said you've been adding to it, Jim. Is that what you've been saying? Right, right, right. I've been buying buying in again uh, at about fifty seven down. I just picked some more up at fifty one. Okay. So I just uh, have you guys run down on it because I can't see anything wrong with it. It's just the market. And, and before I run all the numbers, uh, percentage-wise, how much does it make up in your portfolio? A couple percent. Okay, so you're, you're not over-concentrated with it. All right, uh, well, let, let's look at a, a Dow, symbol as D-O-W. They are in the industry of chemicals. Float is very low, 2.1%. Institutional ownership, I'm kind of surprised, not as high as I thought. It's only 66%. Uh, nice P-E ratio, 5.6 versus 8.2. Price to sales, 0.7. That's better than the industry at 0.8. Price to book value, 5.1. Also better than the industry, 8.2. Then price to cash flow, 4.3 versus 6.2. So you are getting some good valuations on all the fundamentals here for, for the company. We do see that the earnings over the last year are up 68%, better than the industry, up 37%. Sales up 26%, well above the industry at a 1% growth. Unfortunately, the five-year growth rate is a negative 4.8. Uh, the industry is negative 1.2. Now they do pay a nice dividend of 5.4%, and they only use 30% of the 
of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see that we have on the balance sheet a current ratio of 1.7 versus 2.6. That's okay. Debt equity also looks good, 0.8 versus 0.6. Net profit margin for Dow Chemicals check, checks in at 11.8 versus 9.4. And return on equity, very good, 36.3, double the industry at 18.2. So I'm liking what I'm seeing here. Chase, what are you seeing going forward? Yeah, one thing about Dow that I, I know it was a very strange deal where they, they like <clears throat> merged with Dow and became Dow DuPont and then they reversed back out of that merger and it, it was just something interesting. So that, that that's, I, I know you've held it for a while there, uh, Jim, but something I would want to understand is what happened with that whole transaction and, and why did it occur <laughs> that way? But I, I mean, kind of continuing on with the numbers that Brent was talking about, Things look pretty good, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Current price here, $51.69. It, it's fallen from the 52-week high, is $71.86. Uh, pretty close, actually, to its 52-week low of about $49.90. Year-to-date, I see it's down 6.8%, which it's held up much better than uh, a lot of the other companies in the index, but uh, you know, still a slight decline there for the company. Uh, quite large with a $37.6 billion market cap, though. Going forward to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share $7.29. Would give us a target sell price of $121.01. So that's trading about a four PE of about seven. Right. Very attractive. One thing I will point out is the earnings are expected to decline. 2022, I see they're looking at $8.11. That's actually down about 9.6% from last year. And then next year, again, it's $7.29. That's about a 10% fall from this year's $8.11. So I want to understand, well, why are those earnings estimated to decline? And and one of my beliefs was that chemical companies, again, use a lot of like petroleum, petroleum. oil. Yep. So it could be higher input costs weighing on that. But uh, personally, I, I like the chemical companies. They're, they're not going to go anywhere. They have a wide variety of uses, which I like as well. When one industry is struggling, another one might be able to offset those declines. So one thing I would look at is where do where does Dow's products go? Right. Where do they go? What do they do? And so forth. And again, I like that you're buying this as it's going down because a long-term investor, you don't care short-term what's going on with it. The fundamentals do look pretty strong. As Chase said, you really got to understand more about this business and, and do understand they, they are affected by petroleum. Um, I, I believe at this point in time, petroleum seems to have kind of settled into a, a range of we'll call between 100 to maybe 115. Uh, if that's the case, you'll probably do well. If oil war for some reason go up to maybe 130, 150, this company could have problems, but it's not going to stay at that level. Can't stay at that level because demand would fall off dramatically. So I think it's a good long-term hold. This is the type of company that we like to look at, especially I think it had a nice dividend as well. So uh, I know it's kind of frightening when you buy something, it goes lower, and then you buy it, it goes lower. Uh, but accumulate it, what you're doing, and look at where it'll be two, three, four years from now. I think you'd be very happy with this with this business. All righty? Okay. Appreciate it, guys. Okay, Jim. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And it's at that time now, it's time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. You, you, you're talking today about a topic that a lot of people bring up, and that's a Roth conversion. And you're talking is now a good time to, to do a Roth conversion. I know there's a good time and a bad time. Let's talk about that. So, again, a Roth conversion involves taking money from a pre-tax account like a 401k IRA and putting it into a Roth 
the reason you want to do this is if you believe that your current tax rate is going to be lower than what your future tax rate is because of RMDs or increasing income um, or increasing tax rates or anything like that. So that's generally a good idea to look at a, a Roth conversion when you're in that situation. So when you do a Roth conversion, we need to calculate, well, what's your current taxable income? How much room do you have in the tax brackets before you get pushed into a bracket that you don't want to be in at, at a higher rate? And then whatever that difference is, that's the amount that we look at converting. When you convert that amount that you convert is income in the year that you do it, so you pay tax on that income, but now that money is inside of a Roth account, so all the growth that you have is tax-free. And usually when we look at Roth conversions, we like to do it at the end of the year because at the end of the year, your taxable income from that year is a lot more clear. We can look back and say, okay, how many dividends, capital gains did you have? Do you have any bonuses? Um, what was your rental income like? Uh, what was your earned income like? So we can add it up and we know exactly what your taxable income is. But it's also a good time to look at doing a Roth conversion, uh, potentially when there's a pullback or a decline in the market. So we'll look at some numbers to kind of compare it. Um, let's say you've got a million dollars in an IRA or 401k and you're looking at converting a hundred grand. So if you convert $100,000 over that into a Roth, now you've got 900 still left in your IRA and $100,000 in your Roth. So 900K and $100,000. $100, so you converted 10% of your holdings now into Roth. So we'll compare that to, well, let's say there's a pullback in the market and your million-dollar IRA is now an $800,000 IRA. Well, we still want to convert $100,000 because market volatility doesn't affect what tax brackets you're in. So now if we have an $800,000 IRA, we convert $100,000 of that. Now we're left with $700,000 in the IRA and $100,000 in the Roth. Or in other words, we've now converted 12.5% of your portfolio over to Roth as opposed to just 10%. So ultimately, when the market does come back, when your holdings come back, when you're total $800,000 go back up to a million, that extra growth you had that, to get back to even um, now has a larger concentration inside the Roth. So as opposed to $900,000 and $100,000 in the IRA and the Roth, you would have eight seventy-five in the IRA versus $125,000 in the Roth. So you've got an extra twenty-five grand in the Roth and all of that is tax-free. So um, Potentially, when we've got a pullback like we do right now, it, it could be a good time to look at converting money over to Roth because you can get a larger percentage of your money over at the uh, the same tax liability. Now, Harrison, obviously you weren't using one of our portfolios because we're, you know, being down 20%. Not that, would not, that would not be a portfolio. <laughs> yeah. You had to look at another portfolio from somewhere else. Right, right. Yes, that's somebody else coming in. But, but being, you know, joking around here. But but still not. I mean, the, the important part is that market value should not determine that. Oh, like we were talking earlier in the show, like oh, well, I don't wait for things to get better. Same thing here. Waiting until things get better does not change the the fact of you should do the Roth conversion. Yeah, and in in many cases, you know, like I said, there's a difference between your taxable income and your um, the market volatility. So a decline in the market isn't going to adjust your taxable income, especially when we're looking at IRA type of account. So if we can get more more of your account over, um, it, it just is going to give you more tax-free income in the future, assuming that a Roth conversion makes sense in the first place. It doesn't make sense for everybody, but there are situations when it does. And if it does 
this year, if you're someone who should look at doing it this year, then right now could potentially be a time that you would want to do that. And I'm glad you brought up too that uh, it's not for everybody because I'm like, oh, I need to do that. You really need to look at the situation to see if it will benefit you or not. It does not benefit everybody. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. If you have a high income year because you, you're doing great at your job, you're still working, all of the income that you have is ordinary income, you're in a higher tax bracket now, you're going to be retiring in a few years, at which point you know, you'll know you be shifting income to different sources, Social Security, rental income, capital gain income, whatever it is, and you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. Well, we probably don't want to convert right now because we're converting when your, your taxable income is higher. We'd want to wait till when your taxable income is going to be a little bit lower and do it at that point. And that's part of financial planning, and that's what you do. Harrison, thank you very much. Enjoy your long weekend. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Again, that's Harrison Johnson. He's our financial planner. Again, he is on a salary. It's a fee-based planning. He doesn't get bonuses, doesn't get commissions, doesn't sell any product. It's a true financial planning. If you want to have a free consultation with him, go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can contact them there. You can also call them directly at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And talk to him about your financial plan. All right, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Robert. Robert, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi. Um, I was interested in PaySafe, P-S-F-E. Okay. And do you hold that, Robert, or look at buying it? Uh, I'm looking at buying it. Okay. Well, let's take a look at uh, PaySafe. Uh, symbol is P-S-F-E. They're in the, inf- the industry of information technology services. Uh, they've only got about 3.9% uh, float on the uh, short float on, on the company but also to only 46% institutional ownership. Now, unfortunately, when I look at the valuation ratios, there's no PE ratio versus 36.6 for the industry. Price of sales, however, does look good. One versus 1.7. There is no price of tangible book value, which means if you take away all the intangible assets, there's no value to the company. And then price of cash flow looks very good. 2.1 versus 16.6. Unfortunately, no peg ratio for the company. Uh, we do not see any earnings over the last uh, one year, five year. Sales over the last year are actually down 0.7%. The industry is up 11.8. They do not pay a dividend. Take a look at the balance sheet. We see a current ratio of 1.1. That's okay, but the industry is better at 1.6. Debt to equity a little bit heavy here, 1.9 versus 1.5. Net profit margin, they seem to be having some troubles here. Could have had some big costs last uh, 12 months, but the net profit margins are negative. 82.7% versus a positive 4.9. Also, that would give you a bad return on equity of a negative 83.5 versus a positive 18.8. So not looking good in the past. Maybe Chase has something different going forward that looks positive. You got that wrinkled face on a look on your well, face like you're kind of like, hmm. Well, it's just very strange that, I mean, their price to cash flow at 2.1 is phenomenal. Yeah. What expenses are carrying through on the income statement that's generating cash flow, but not earnings. They just have a ton of depreciation, amortization. You know, they have a huge change in working capital. I mean... Could have been an intangible write-off or something. Yeah, yeah. could have been something because that's one thing I would want to look at. And, and we like to buy things that have 
things firing on all cylinders. Right. I want to make sure that the cash flow is there, but also that, that, that it flows through the earnings as well. But it, it, that is very strange to me that cash flow is that strong and earnings are, well, not material. Uh, but with that said, let's take a look at the, the pricing here. Current price for PaySafe, well, it's $1.95. Wow, 52-week high, $11.92. 52-week low, well, that was $1.84. So year-to-date, the stock is down 50.1%. So it's fallen quite dramatically there. Uh, let's see here. Looking out to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of just $0.08. Cents. Unfortunately, that gives a target sell price of $1.33. So it's still a little expensive, or it is still expensive, trading about 24 times earnings for us to look at buying it. But, you know, I, I, I'm still just... Trying to wrap my head around that cash flow. Well, I went to the income statement you were talking there, Chase, and I looked. They do they do have an other expense over the last twelve months of the trailing twelve months of one billion three hundred fifty four million dollars. So before I invest in this company, doesn't sound like it's worth it anyways because of the income uh, or the, the earnings going forward. They had some big expense over a billion dollars in the previous year for twenty twenty one. It was only one hundred ten billion or one hundred ten million. So they they took some big hit on something. Uh, in in the last 12 months that really uh, hurt the company. So hmm. that's what you have to look at, Robert. But I, I, again, I think the target sell price you said was? 133, and it's 195. Yeah, so not much here we can see here, Robert. Um, <clears throat> so I'd have to say, yeah, probably, probably look elsewhere is my, my recommendation. Already? Okay, yep, great. Thank you very much for the information. All right, Robert, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Mike. Mike, you're on the Smart, Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? How you doing today? Good, how you doing? Good. You know, I'm uh, not real big on Chinese stocks, although I did uh, buy some... Uh, Alibaba when it dipped down to around 80 but um, there's another one that I bit, that I bought about a year ago and it's still returning 22% it's BYDDF is that the one you want to talk about I, I thought we had something yeah, different yeah. okay so yeah. you have to give me that symbol again what's the symbol again BYDDF uh, B as in D is in dog D is in dog F as in Frank. Okay. All right. Let's see what you got when that comes up there. What, what's the name of that company? Um, B, uh, yeah, yeah. B Y D company. Yeah. B Y D. And I think there's a couple different variations of it. I bought it, uh, on Ameritrade as B Y D D F, but it's B Y D is the corporation Chinese company that, um, I guess they're going to outperform Tesla as far as the amount of vehicle next year, you know, and I know that whole EV industry has been hammered, um, but they still seem to, I don't know whether they got a handle on the chips over there or what. And, and, um, and I'm still having trouble pulling this stock up because cause I, I put them BYDF, nothing comes. BYDD. Oh, two D. Yeah, so, okay. B okay. BYDD. There, there it is. Okay. All right. Let's see what we got here. Um, and my, my guess, without even looking at the fundamentals, um, they're probably very weak because they're they're looking, you're talking about, oh, they've outperformed Tesla and so forth. I mean, a lot of the EV companies have just done 
not very well, but well, well let, let's take a look at it here for you. You said you, you haven't bought it yet. You're kind of looking at it, correct? No, I bought I bought it about a year ago, and it's and it's up 22 percent throughout oh. this whole this whole you know Neo and and Lee and uh, you know so a lot of these other Chinese EV stocks have you know have dropped considerably. No, maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah. Maybe you got a good one here. So let, let's take a look at the numbers at uh, what is the company? BYD. BYD. That's BYD, the company. The company. Okay, company name BYD. Yeah. Symbol is BYDDF. Uh, they are in the right. industry of auto manufacturers. Uh, no float on it. Uh, we do see institutional ownership is only twenty three point two. Uh, they do have a P ratio, but it is over a hundred versus fifteen point seven for the industry. Price of sales are expensive three point two versus one. Price to tangible book value, 10.1 versus 4.9. And price of cash flow checks in at 9.9, just, just slightly ahead of the industry at 8.5. And unfortunately, no pig ratio. We do see uh, <clears throat> earnings over the last year are down 4.5%. Industry was up 9%, but the sales, probably what's causing the stock to rise, is up 29.4%. The industry was down 5.6. We do see they do not pay, no, 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 well, a two-cent Dividend doesn't even quit out to yield, so I don't even worry about that two cent dividend. Uh, the balance sheet current ratio 0.9, half the industry at 1.8, and that, that's okay. Debt to equity 0.3 versus 0.6, that's pretty good. Net profit margin 1.5 versus 7.4, that's kind of low. Return on equity is low 3.8 versus 15. I'm getting the feeling there's a lot of risk potential growth of this company on the growth side. Jay's going to explain that with the earnings. Well, and this company is kind of interesting, actually. They have an automobile segment, which, you know, I know we've talked about a little bit here, but that's about half the company's revenue. But then they also have a mobile handset component and assembly segment. Really? So they're also on handsets, not just cars as well. Uh, and then also a rechargeable battery, battery business uh, that they manufacture, obviously, batteries for mobile phones, portable electronics, and electric power tools. So they are not just a car manufacturer. They, they do have other parts of the business. I'm not sure what their growth rates look like on, on each aspect, but kind of an interesting concept there. Looking at the current price, though, for BYDDF, I see it's $39.97. I see the 52-week high is $43.61. And the strange thing is the 52-week low of $21.42 came about. March 15th of this year. Really? So it's gone from $21.42 and now a, a price or even a high of $43. That that was hit June 28th. So uh, it must be this, this excitement that you're kind of talking about here, Mike, with uh, them doing well in China versus maybe a company like Tesla or Neo that, that there's more <clears throat> optimism around that. So I would say be careful. I mean, I I am always quite leery of China. It always scares the heck out of me because, you know, luck and coffee was supposed to outperform Starbucks, and then we sure know that didn't happen. Yeah, that so, Chinese <laughs> government accounting, we call it. So I just say be careful of it. Um, you know, it's done well for you, but uh, I think things could turn very, very quickly for a stock like this. Yeah, and there's no earnings going forward on, no analysts. Oh, well, there's no analysts going forward, yeah. yeah, so. yeah. So, so that that's why you're kind of by, by yourself on this one here. You have no analysts looking at it trying to get estimates for the earnings going forward. Um, so you, you've done well on it. The question is, will the stock go from 39.97 uh, up to 59.97, or will it go back down to 21? Uh, that, that's kind of the gamble here. We, we'd like to have at least four to five analysts so that we can have somebody kind of looking at the earnings. Uh, here you're kind of flying blind. All righty. All right, thank you very much. Okay, Mike, have a good one. Bye-bye.
All right, that does open up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Chase, we had a gentleman calling early on the show. He, he didn't uh, didn't leave his name, I believe, but he did want to ask about Procter & Gamble, which is P&G. And I'm kind of curious about this myself because we are looking for companies that during a slowdown in the economy, rising interest rates, what companies will do well, this may be one of those. So I do want to kind of take a look at that to see if that is a possibility. Uh, again, looking at Procter & Gamble, symbol is P-N-G. Uh, P-G. Right. P-G. Yeah, P-G. oh, the symbol? Yeah, P-G. Okay. I thought you said P-N-G. Like, you know what? Like P-N-G is, I think, what it used to be called. And that's just an old habit I had. Okay. Was, yeah, I was, Frank Shagan said, yeah, <laughs> it used to be called P-N-G. Um, and I guess it would be Procter and Gamble. You yeah. say P and G, but the symbol is PG. Okay, perfect. I swear the symbol is PG. Right. I made a very simple thing, very complicated. Yeah. Sorry about that, uh, listeners. There. All right. So they they are in the uh, the industry of household and personal products. Uh, only 0.7 percent is the short float here. We do see that 66 uh, percent institutional owned. I'm surprised it's uh, that low. Uh, we do see a P-E ratio of 25.6 versus 28.7. <clears throat> Price of sales, 4.7 versus 3.1. Price to book value, 7.9 versus 6. And price to cash flow, 21.7 versus 20.8. Now, one thing I would kind of tell the people now that I, that I see this, right, right off the bat with these high valuation ratios, I feel that everybody's kind of piled into this as safety already. So you may have missed the boat getting into the stock uh, too late here, but we'll, we'll continue on. Now, their, their earnings did grow up 4% uh, over the last year. Uh, industry was up 8.3. Sales for a P&G or Procter & Gamble, 4.6% uh, growth on the sales. Not as because the industry at 14.2. They do have a very nice five-year growth rate uh, on the earnings of 5.1 versus 3.9. You get a decent dividend, 2.5%. They use 58% of the earnings to pay that out. And then look at the balance sheet. You got a current ratio of 0.7 versus, versus one, which I'm a little bit uh, disconcerned with. I, w- I wish it was higher. And then debt to equity is 0.7 as well versus 2.7. So that's a positive. Uh, we do see a net profit margin of 8.3% versus uh, 18.3% versus 10.9. And then return to equity is 31.5 versus 29.2. So, I mean, you got some good numbers here, but it really comes down to you, Chase, what it is going forward is just already overpriced. Yeah, so current price here for Procter & Gamble is $146.11. 52-week high, well, that's $165.35, so it has pulled back off that high. The low here, $129.50. I see year-to-date the stock's actually down 9.7%. Uh, obviously not as bad as the index is, but uh, still still quite a substantial decline for a, a company like this. I thought it actually would have held up better and perhaps even been positive during this type of time frame. But actually looking forward to June 2023, this company reports on a fiscal basis. I do see the estimated earnings per share of $6.19 would give us a target sell price of $102.75. So not even uh, really close to the yeah. current price of 146 And I said June 2023, even though I go out to June 2024 because you're going to make that shift here soon, it's $6.72. Well, that still gives us a target of $111.55. So this company, you know, it's a, a business that I, I like to buy because it's simple. They, I think they grow their earnings at a nice rate. They have a nice dividend. They probably buy back a decent amount of stock. A very simple business, but it's just too pricey. I mean, it's been pricey for years. <clears throat> yeah, it, because it's got that well-known name and stuff, and, and that's 
and, and also to what's going on now that that's why it stays there but yeah so i not not a buy it's actually a sell um and i'm kind of surprised on that i or not surprised i was hoping for the other side but th this is why again we, we had the workshop coming up on uh, thursday july 21st uh and and these are things we talk about at the workshop and and again we when i you know help you to understand if you should keep the stocks that are, are now down or selling the portfolio you're going to learn what to hold on to, what not to, like we just talked about P&G, um, how to learn what stocks uh, should do well in a slowing economy, very important. Don't, don't go to cash, find things that will do well over the next 12 to 24 months because things will do well. If you find the right companies, we'll show you what we're looking at. How to avoid losing more money in, in your portfolio by buying new losers. You sell one loser, you buy another loser. Don't do that, that's not gonna work very well. And why net redemptions, gonna talk about this, why net redemptions will hurt your mutual funds and why you should get out now. These are things you're gonna learn at the workshop. It is free, but you have to come to the workshop. And Chase, we only do these once a quarter now. Yeah, once a quarter, so it, it's uh, not as a regular of occurrence, so we're, we're excited to do it. And uh, especially during a time period like this, I think it, it's really beneficial for people to see true value investing, how value investing works, and, and why it's a really proven philosophy over the long term. And, and this is the most important time because this is when, like, you know, I've been managing money for over 40 years now. The reason why I do well during down periods is because I understand I know what's going on. If you don't have a basic knowledge of what's going on, your emotions will take over and you will, you'll, you will sell at the worst time. I mean, Warren Buffett says the stock market's the only place that he knows where when there's a sale, people run out of the store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true, yeah, and it's it's the wrong thing to do, and and it's again going back to what we said earlier in the show. People want to always buy lower. Yes, you have to know you you can't know if it's going lower. You have to look at saying, is this a good price? Yeah, and you bring up a good point about people always want to buy lower. Oh, it's going lower. It may very well go lower, but you're not going to get the absolute bottom. And if you look at something saying, gee, if I can buy this business today, and two years because it's down now, in two years I've made twenty five percent on that money. That's a pretty darn good return, and you should be happy with that. Yeah, maybe maybe your rate went lower. You could have made maybe a 30%, 40%, but what if it doesn't? Then you're sitting there in cash, earning nothing, and then what you'll do eventually is you're gonna buy something at a higher price. So so this is, again, things you learn at the workshop, how to invest without emotions, because that's a big problem with investing, and our slogan at Wilsey Asset Management is no emotions, just results because we don't get emotional about this. We look at these as businesses. We look at the values of these businesses. We'll, we'll share with you how to get off that emotional roller coaster. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure, I know we only have a, a little bit of time here. So to register, you, you do just uh, call the office there, correct? Yeah, yeah, call, call the office, 858-546-4306. Uh, That's 858-546-4306. Also probably a very easy way to do it is go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up right there. And if you do call the, the office, you do want to talk to Priscilla. Yep, she'll take care of you. And I do want to slide in there real quick. One other thing is, you know, you enjoyed the first part of the show where you're talking about all the different topics that we cover. Right. You know, we do have more topics that we don't get to in the show. Yes, yes. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter there as well. That's another option. Again, at smartinvesting2000.com. And there's the closing bell. So thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 
And be sure to visit that website. A lot of great information there. How to sign up for the website, the newsletter, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Enjoy your long weekend. So amusing to think.